The Biden administration has issued its final report on Biden's disastrous surrender in Afghanistan. The report says the Biden decisions that led to the Biden plan that created the Biden catastrophe are the fault of Donald Trump. To show the administration was taking full responsibility for the Biden disaster caused by Trump, the report was thrown out of a speeding car in a brown paper bag on the Friday night before Easter weekend while Joe Biden snuck out of the White House and jumped on a helicopter to Camp David. Fortunately, Defense Department spokesman John Kirby was left behind to take reporters' questions, although Kirby only became available after chasing Biden's helicopter for half an hour, shouting, come back, please don't leave me behind, to take reporters' questions. The report, written by the late comedian John Belushi, gives a new inside look at the intense war room conferences in which Joe Biden and his advisors designed a plan that would lead to chaos, death, and global disorder because of Donald Trump. In one meeting, for instance, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General and Thoroughly Modern Milley, arrived late because his adult education class on understanding white rage had run long and he had had to rush home to change into a floor-length evening gown with voluminous ruffles cascading down the skirt beneath a flattering pleated waist. Swanning gracefully back and forth across the war room, General Modern repeatedly advised Biden that at least 2,500 U.S. troops should remain in Afghanistan in order to entertain the Taliban conquerors with an ever-so-fun synchronized dance routine reminiscent of the Rockettes, only more gay. General Willie Milley felt this would atone for generations of systemic American racism with a show of support for LGBT causes until the Taliban finally learned that trans women are women and should be oppressed and beaten just like all their other women. Milley said, quote, It isn't fair for the Taliban to murder girls for trying to get an education while boys who dress up as girls are only murdered for dressing up as girls, unquote. As the meeting continued, Admiral of the Ocean Waves, Richard Levine, suggested that he, or possibly his twin sister, Rachel, who was conveniently also himself, would send a flotilla of ships to Afghanistan to distribute pamphlets to the Taliban explaining why healthy children should be sexually butchered. That suggestion was tabled after it was discovered that the Taliban was already perfectly happy to butcher children and also Afghanistan is landlocked. Speaking for the intelligence community... (laughs) U.S. US National Security Director Vladimir Kumpau said American agents should undermine the Taliban by infiltrating Catholic churches in America. There, the agents could make sure that no one was speaking Latin, which might slow the decay of American culture into a godless miasma of spiritual degradation or otherwise impede the Biden administration's agenda. Despite these incisive suggestions from his perfectly selected team of crack military and intelligence advisors, Joe Biden announced that he was the smartest man in the room and had therefore decided he'd have two scoops of the pistachio ice cream after lunch instead of mixing it with one scoop of swirly caramel. And he'd also pull out all air and materiel support from our Afghanistan allies so that they would instantly be forced to surrender, while at the same time he would abandon our military airfield in the dead of night so that the sun would rise on scenes of panic, desperation, and destruction. Thus, our enemies in Russia would witness firsthand the sort of brilliant American military and intelligence leadership that made this such a great time to invade Ukraine. When reporters asked defense spokesman John Kirby why any of this was Donald Trump's fault, Kirby said, quote, I can't answer that question right now because I'm too out of breath from chasing Biden's helicopter and begging him not to leave me here to answer that question right now, unquote. 
White House spokeswoman Corrine Jean Identity Hire did respond to reporters' questions, however, saying, quote, this president takes full responsibility for blaming Donald Trump. Now it's time to leave the past in the rearview mirror and stop even looking in the rearview mirror, but instead look to the future where China is conquering Taiwan. So let's stop looking to the future also and just close our eyes and drive blindly until we hit a tree, which will be Donald Trump's fault, unquote. In other news, the Democrat National Committee has announced it will showcase Democrat policies by holding their next convention in the ruins of the crime-ridden Democrat-run city of Chicago, a decision they blamed on Donald Trump. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. Let's go late and lick the world. Let's get it done. <laughs> Let's lick the world. I said to my wife, you know, see, the, the commander in chief says I'm supposed to do that. She says, stop licking people. Uh, <laughs> I hope you had a lovely Easter. Uh, Christ is risen. Unfortunately, the rest of us are still here laughing our way to hell and back. Uh, for those of you who missed, by the way, the original version of the Biden report on Afghanistan written by the late comedian John Belushi, here's the first draft. I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My touch didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake. A terrible flood. Locust. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. <laughs> the Biden administration taking full responsibility for the disaster in Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I want to say thank you to David Deserto at the Sheen Center in New York. Uh, they invited me. I told you they invited me to come and speak about the truth and beauty, about the romantic poets. Uh, and it was, a, it was a good turnout. I was surprised. I was sitting there talking about romantic poetry, but uh, a lot of people showed up, and it was a really nice event. David did a great job uh, running the interview, and uh, they're, they're a wonderful organization that really talks about art and spirituality uh, in the Catholic context, but not necessarily limiting it to Catholicism, just really doing good work. Uh, this is an excellent time, right this minute, while you're thinking of it, to subscribe to the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. You know, we, we don't have enough subscribers there. We want to double that number. God, just, if you haven't subscribed to the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel, just go ahead and do that. Uh, you get exclusive content. If you ring that bell, someone you don't know will die, uh, which is great because it's probably somebody you wouldn't like if you did know them. And also, uh, if you leave a comment, and the comment is just absolutely undermines people's self-esteem and, you know, it drives minorities apart and lowers uh, America in the world's estimation. Uh, we will read it right here because that's what we do. Uh, the, today's comment is from Undershade. It says, be virtuous, be moral. Don't give an inch on abortion. Don't give an inch on Trump. Don't fight to win. Don't fight to win, fight to be moral. What happens if you lose? The country falls further, but you will rise up. Do not sacrifice your eternal soul for temporary win. God will understand if you compromise. He will understand that you were a coward uh, when you should have been courageous. That's utter nonsense, uh, under shade. And I'm assuming, I assume that that's a leftist trying to tell right-wingers to do the exactly wrong thing. God doesn't want you to lose. God doesn't say anything about politics. He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's uh, and what is God's unto God's. And so when you deal with Caesar, you deal with Caesar. It's utter nonsense, utter nonsense. Of course, uh, you should win on a board. What do you, what do you mean? You're, you're going to go to heaven because you let 
uh, a child, you let children die because you couldn't win uh, in an election. Some things you win in an election, some things you win in the culture, you fight where you win. Utterly ridiculous. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I hope you'll continue to listen while I insult you. Are you looking to stay healthy and feel great? No, you're looking to get sick and feel lousy. But if you want to stay healthy and feel great, one of the best ways to do it is by eating your daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Thanks to Balance of Nature, there's now a simple yet manageable way to get your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural antioxidants in 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that you can take at any time. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies gives your body the nutrients it needs to function properly. They're packed with vitamins, minerals, fiber, and antioxidants that help keep your body healthy and strong. Plus, they can help you maintain a healthy weight and reduce your risk of chronic diseases like heart disease, diabetes, and certain types of cancer. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of fruit and veggie capsules down to the studio for my team to try. They're hanging off the ceilings. They've got so much energy. It's absolutely disgusting. When you're disciplined enough to take care of your health, you reap all kinds of benefits. Make fruits and vegetables a part of your daily diet. Your body will thank you. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering 35% off with your first preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code CLAVEN for 35% off. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code CLAVEN. You'll feel great just because you learn how to spell CLAVEN. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Today, I'm going to talk about morality. Uh, it's actually an interesting subject because I, some people like this fellow can't tell the difference between morality and politics. And uh, I want to talk about why our arguments don't really ring true uh, in the face of leftist arguments that are false, but do ring truer in some ways. Um, you know, on, on Easter in church, the priest uh, made an offhanded remark uh, that he, he's very good about not talking about politics. And I really believe that because I don't believe God tells us which political party to be on. It's the Republicans, but I don't think he tells us. He's got it kind of on a sealed envelope. But, you know, he doesn't tell us how to handle politics, what votes we should put in or anything like that. Now, we have to kind of find our way. So I don't like it when preachers talk about politics. But he just said one thing as we were honoring uh, the dead from the parish and the dead, uh, you know, uh, who people had honored in their with their Easter flowers. He said, remember Haley Scruggs, Evelyn uh, Dakehouse, and William Kinney? And those, if you don't remember, are the three uh, nine-year-old children who were murdered in, uh, in Nashville, in the Nashville Christian School, by a person who thought she was the opposite sex than she actually was. Uh, and the priest uh, pointed out that we don't really know their names. We don't remember their names. But we do remember other names. And he didn't use the name, but he described it so you knew who he was talking about. I was talking about George Floyd. Uh, the George Floyd has become a household word. There are paintings of George Floyd uh, flying up to heaven. You'll notice there are no photographs of that, but <laughs> there are paintings. They couldn't get the real picture for some reason. But um, anyway, you remember Joe Biden talking about his meeting with George Floyd's daughter after Floyd's death is cut three. I sort of knelt down to hold her hand. I said, Daddy's looking down on you. He's so proud. He said to me then, I'll never forget it, Daddy changed the world. 
daddy, he changed the world. Now, George Floyd was arrested at least nine times. He went to prison uh, for, I think, five years for a home invasion in which he held a gun on a, a pregnant woman. Uh, she had a child. There was another woman in the house, and his friends were ransacking uh, the house while he held her at gunpoint. You can barely find that story online now. They've memory-holed it. They're, you know, Google especially. Google really needs to get their stuff together. They need to be forced to play fair. They're too big a monopoly. Uh, they have too big a monopoly on information to do what they do. You have to hunt for it. There's all kinds of Snope fact-checking to sort of uh, take down the fact that Floyd was a thug. You know, he was a lost man. I'm not judging him in, in the face of God. God will make judgments that I know nothing about. But he was a drug addict and he was a violent guy. Uh, and they minimized this fact. And the nine-year-olds who were murdered are remembered by the people who love them, uh, you know, as, as always on the go, a shining light, an unflappable spirit. Uh, but after this transgender person uh, murdered these children and three other teachers. This is, I've played this once before, but it's worth playing again. This is what the White House spokeswoman, uh, Karine Sean Identity Iyer said, cut four. Our hearts go out to uh, the, those, the trans community as they are under attack right now. So <laughs> now you all remember the race riots that followed 25 people died. At least 25 people died in those race riots. Uh, do you know their names? I don't know any of their names. I don't know any of their names. I'm, you know, I really don't. And I don't really remember the children at Nashville or uh, those people. Uh, today, some news organizations are memory-holing memory uh, those, those riots by calling them the 2020 fires, as if the city of Minneapolis just burst into flames uh, you know, <laughs> spontaneously instead of having Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the Democrats and news media who urge them on causing those fires, those 25 deaths of names we don't know. And I know you know that the 19 children were slaughtered in Uvalde, Texas. Do you know their names? Do you know the names of those people? No. But do you remember what Barack Obama tweeted after those 19 children were slaughtered? He, he tweeted, as we grieve the children of Uvalde today, we should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. His killing stays with us all to this day, especially those who loved him. So, when children get killed, we make a martyr of the murderer. When murdered children are forgotten, but a thug like George Floyd is made into a saint, that's a moral problem. That's, that's a moral sickness. This country is having a moral sickness. It is going through a period, a moral miasma, you know, a, a fog, a thick, uh, stinking fog has settled over our country. And you might say to yourself, I know nobody likes and none of us like uh, Barack Obama. He's not a good person, but he's not a demon. He's not Satan. And you think, like, well, how could he say that? His 19 children just got killed. He's a man of authority. He's a man of uh, respect, a man who is held in respect by the country. 19 children, their bodies weren't even cold. How could he say that? What, what's, what was wrong with them? How could Kareem Jean-Pierre, again, I, I don't think she's a, she's a hack, obviously, but she's not a demon. She's not like, you know, flaming evil. How can she say, how can she erase those three murdered children and those three teachers, those three people who were doing great work, one of them uh, a, a janitor on the, uh, on the site, but a beloved guy, how can he, she erase those people by talking about the transgender people, one of whom actually killed them? There's a reason for it. They're not evil. I mean, they may be doing evil. That's different, but they're not, they're not demons, like I said, but they have a theory. Now, not all of them know they have a theory. Not all of them have read the theory, but the theory has 
percolated up through uh, the leadership. And now they all believe that theory and they believe the thoughts that emanate from that theory. And that is what they think morality is. So they actually think the evil they're doing, it is a clear evil. It is, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about celebrating and defending and making a martyr out of a transgender killer on the day, or it was like a couple days after uh, those three children were killed. There's no doubt that that's an evil action and, and just a, a demented kind of action. Where, where does that come from? All well, the theories derive from, they start in theories that came out of uh, Germany in the 18th and 19th centuries uh, that had the idea that now that God is dead, now that we don't believe in God anymore, uh, that that morality, we've gone beyond good and evil. There's only only this life force that we are representative of. We're sort of almost illusions that come out of this life force and their powers with inside us struggling to, to win. You know, there's a will to power inside every living thing. And that's all. One kind of power is fighting another kind of power. And there's no nothing moral about it because there's no God. It's just a blind force that comes up through us. And uh, Nietzsche said this. He said, there are no moral phenomena. There are only moral interpretations of phenomena. In other words, Crap happens, and we call it moral or immoral, but a great mind might come along and turn it around and say something else is moral and immoral. Now, this this thought filtered through Karl Marx. It filtered through this insane sadomasochistic pervert, Michel Foucault, uh, other philosophers, and we arrived at this idea that reality itself, as human beings know it, is just a construct of power struggles. It has no reality. The only, re- the only evil is forcing people to be constrained by those constructs, and the people who are most constrained are the people who belong to groups on an imaginary chart of powerlessness. So if you're a black transgender sadomasochist, you're constrained by random social constructs uh, that don't like black people, that deprive black people of power, that say being transgender is something wrong, uh, to say being a sadomasochist is something wrong. And if you blow away a nine-year-old child, that nine-year-old child is not as hobbled by power as you are. And so the great loss is what has happened to you, how you have been forced by these constraints to become a killer. This is why George Soros doesn't want to prosecute uh, criminals because there are too many black people in prison. The fact that black people commit a lot of the crime in this country, a disproportionate amount of the crime in this country, and so they get arrested more, that doesn't mean anything because it's this power chart and everything is just power flowing back and forth and creating illusions in people's minds that are there to keep the people who have power powerful. Now, the thing about all this is it comes from philosophy that makes sense if there's no God. It all makes, it all fits together if there's no God. But, you know, it is, it does have a premise. The premise is that we are an expression of some blind force. There is no God. So, when we don't argue back and say, no, there is a God, we say, oh, no, we can't make our arguments by talking about God. We can't make our arguments about talking about religion because not everybody believes in religion. But does everybody believe that we're the expression of some blind force? They are working off a premise that makes logic out of everything they say, but we're afraid to speak our premise. And more than that, more than that, a lot of us don't believe in our premises. So we're talking nonsense and they're not. They're talking sense. Their premise is incorrect, but everything they say grows out of that premise and makes sense where what we say does not. And you listen to people on the right. They do not want to talk about God. I, I get letters all the time. You know, I was with you until you, started, until you started talking about God. We don't want to talk about God because people don't believe and what, you know, but we don't make any sense. And that's what I want to talk about today and what it looks like in the political world. The days when skincare was just for women are over. 
Are you tired of dealing with puffy eye bags, dry skin, and wrinkles? Do you want to look and feel your best every day? Start taking your skincare routine seriously. Check out my pals at Genucel Skincare. My coworker Phil loves the ultra retinol offered in their most popular package. The guy's gorgeous. The nighttime moisturizer contains a powerful retinol alternative to visibly reduce the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, and skin discoloration without the irritation of retinol. Genucel's ultra retinol helps to exfoliate the skin, which can reduce the appearance of pores and improve skin texture. It can also help to even out skin tone by reducing the appearance of age spots and hyperpigmentation. Say goodbye to fine lines, wrinkles, and even those annoying under-eye bags. Genucel will have you looking 5, 10, or even 15 years younger, just in time for warmer weather. Best of all, Genucel guarantees results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Don't wait. Visit GenuCell.com slash Clavin to save over 70% off their most popular package. This package includes the Dark Spot Corrector as well as their Ultra Retinal and Under Eye Treatment. Every order subscription includes a luxury gift box with these three free springtime essentials just in time for warmer weather and free shipping. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin. GenuCell.com slash Clavin. How do you spell Clavin? I know you're wondering. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's. So we on the right are always talking about the double standard. I mean, it happened here in Nashville. Uh, some of the state uh, lawmakers uh, caused a ruckus because they wanted, didn't want to you know, they wanted gun control to pass and they were thrown out of their offices and then they were allowed back in, blah, blah, blah. And the press made heroes of them. Now, I thought when you stormed into a Capitol and you disrupted the lawmakers, that was the worst thing you could ever do because I heard all about January 6th and that crime is punishable by being arrested without a trial. It's the only thing in America. You can be arrested without a trial and kept in prison for a year uh, before you get a trial. But no, these guys are heroes. And we think, what a double standard. But it's not a double standard. See, this is the thing. There is this imaginary chart of power groups. And if you are on the right place in that chart, you are allowed to do things that other people don't do because they're higher up on the chart. So they have more of this evil power. Now, it's not evil because there is no good or evil, but somehow it's wrong anyway. So that part doesn't make all that much sense. But still, if what you're trying to do is get rid of the force of this power that is creating all these illusions, it creates the illusion of gender, it creates the illusion of good and bad, it creates the illusion of morality, of corruption and not corruption. So they can be corrupt. They can be corrupt. You know, Biden is in Ireland right now, right? I think he's still there uh, because, uh, you know, China is staging these massive military maneuvers off the coast of Taiwan uh, just hours after the French president visited China and said that Europe had to detach from the United States while he's standing next to the Chinese president. So it was really important that Biden go uh, to Ireland uh, to make sure that our supply of lucky charms doesn't run out. Uh, and here's just a moment of Biden in Ireland. The fact that I'm here with my sister, Valerie, and my younger son, Hunter Biden. Stand up, guys. I'm proud of you. He's proud of him. He's proud of Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden is there. He's interpreting questions that Biden gets because Biden is so demented he can't understand them anymore. All this information has been coming out about Hunter Biden recently. Um, four business partners, uh, a vice president and two assistants at Hunter Biden's investment firm, Rosemont. Seneca Advisors, it's now defunct. They visited the White House more than 80 times when Biden was vice president in the Obama administration. Now, you remember Obama says he never talks about business 
But his business with Hunter Biden, but Hunter Biden's business partners visited him 80 times while he was vice president. Now, the House Oversight Committee uh, has been subpoenaing bank statements about this, and the banks won't give the statements in, but one bank did, Cathay Bank, which is based in Los Angeles, but has offices in China. Now, if you look this up, again, Google will put a warning up. This news is changing very fast. It's very fast. So you don't want to read it. Don't read this news because it could change. Even as you're reading it, it could just be totally different. It's a lie. Google is lying because this is an anti-Democrat thing. And Google is now basically in hock to the intelligence committees and the um, and the deep state. Right. So Google is putting up stuff. It's it's uh, memory holding. George Floyd is taking information like this and putting warnings on it. All lies. An entire instrument uh, of corporate and government collusion is making it difficult for you to find out simple truths like this. So Cathay Bank, which has offices in China, turned over the bank records that were requested by Senator Ron Johnson uh, of Wisconsin and Grassley of Iowa. And these Cathay st statements show that millions and millions of dollars, in one payment it was over $5 million, from energy companies associated with the Chinese Communist Party. So these are really direct payouts from the Chinese Communist Party went to Hunter Biden's companies. We don't know for what. You know, we don't know what they were for, but we do know, for instance, that the Justice Department disbanded the China initiative uh, that was implemented under Trump uh, to combat China's efforts to steal our technology. We know that the EPA is trying to essentially make car companies a government utility and force them to make only electronic vehicles that require stuff from China in order to run. And Ron Johnson said that the fact, just the fact that Cathay turned over these documents, he said, in my mind, this is the Chinese government telling Joe Biden, we got the goods on you, buddy, and we're willing to dish it up. But not only is, can Joe Biden stand there and say he's proud of Hunter Biden, but there's no commentary on it. There's no comment. And you remember, of course, obviously, all the whole government bullied and tricked and conned Twitter and Facebook and all and all the other you know social media to dump the Hunter Biden laptop, especially during the election. But they're doing it still, still. And now Elon Musk takes over Twitter, and he becomes suddenly this horrific villain. He's this horrific villain. Oh, oh no, he's letting anybody say anything. There's all this hate speech. Well, the BBC did an interview with Elon Musk. Elon Musk and the BBC reporter sitting down at a table, and Musk took this guy to pieces. I'm going to play a long clip because it's just kind of beautiful. Well, hang on a second. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example, not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, I, then I how did you see the hateful content? content? Because I've been, I've, been using, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. And I'm asking for one example. Right. And, and I, you can't I, give a single I, one. And, and, and I'm saying... I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I claimed, you just lied. What no, no, what I claim was uh, there are many uh, organizations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on my feed or not. Give me one example. I mean, I, right? And Literally, can someone one. like the, the uh, Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the, U in the UK? They will say that. So they, look, people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example, and you can't name one. Right. And as, as I already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, then how let, would you know? Let, that I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content, and then couldn't name a single example. Right. And as I said, I that's have absurd. <laughs> 
I made the mistake. You know, it's it's more fun to attack this guy in the press where he can't answer back than to sit across from him when he makes you look like the idiot you are. And the BBC is actually putting out, uh, you know, statements saying, well, we didn't mean to blah, 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 blah. But, you know, this is what they're all doing. The Federal Trade Commission has been harassing Musk all this time. And by the way, I, I wish Musk were doing more to free up the content. I know, I'm sure my stuff is being suppressed. And I think once he sort of stopped paying full attention to it, they went right back to doing what they were doing before. But all of this stuff, the fact that Joe Biden is a venal old man, he's mean, stupid little man. He's always been what, what he is now, uh, that he's now he's suffering from dementia. So he doesn't even have the, uh, you know, he doesn't even have the intelligence to do what he does. Our deep state is colluding with our media and our social media to silence all this, to keep it from us. And it's fine. It's fine. There's not a single person on the left to say, you know, this is un-American. Let people speak. Let people say that. Where is the Democrat who says that? Where is one? Name one. And, you know, we don't do anything. On the right, we don't do anything. And, you know, now they're after uh, Clarence Thomas. They after they hate this guy. Clarence Thomas, you have to remember, is not just a conservative. He is also the uh, guy with seniority on the court. So if John Roberts doesn't write the majority opinion, Clarence Thomas gets to pick who does. So he's got a lot of power on the report, uh, on the court. So now there's a report from this left wing uh, thing, ProPublica. All it says is that that Clarence uh, Thomas has a friend named Harlan Crow, who's a wealthy Texas real estate developer. And sometimes he goes on vacations with Harlan Crow, which I'm sure Harlan Crow pays for. Uh, he's, he didn't have to report these things. He did not have to report these things. He asked for guidance from his colleagues. Do I have to report these things? And they said no. A month ago, they changed those rules. So now if he does these things, he does have to report some of them, but he did nothing wrong. He did zero wrong. And here is AOC representing base and the the press basically representing what the left wing plans to do with this. Justice Clarence Thomas, you want him to be impeached after a new ProPublica report this week revealed that he accepted luxury vacations from a Republican billionaire donor without disclosing them. I think that his own statement contradicts uh, contradicts many of the facts on the ground and also raises in other ways even more serious questions. Later on in his statement, he stated that the reason and the rationale for this exemption was personal hospitality from an old friend. And he said himself in his statement, a friend of 25 years. Justice Thomas has been on the court for 30 years. And so to say what he is admitting in his statement in an attempt to defend himself is that he began this relationship with a billionaire and receiving these sorts of gifts as after he was appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. I think that that in and of itself indicates a very, very serious problem. Now, does anybody believe there's a very serious problem? You know, they even came out with the fact that Harlan Crow collects uh, communist and Nazi memorabilia and he has a kind of display of it obviously to show the things that he doesn't like because he's a freedom-loving American or he wouldn't be supporting Clarence Thomas, who supports the Constitution, right? Nobody likes both the Nazis and the communists. Yeah, I just like mean people. I just like bad people. That's all I like. I just like that, you know? That's not, that's not philosophically sound, but they tried to make it, this means Clarence Thomas is hanging out with a Nazi. They'll do anything. The New York Times has taken this up and run with it. It is just absolutely 
uh, immoral. It is immoral to do it because it is immoral of the New York Times to do it. They're supposed to be a newspaper. They, they once were, I've heard, a newspaper. There's a rumor that they once were a newspaper. But they have the justification to do this. Why? Because they see that our morality is simply a structure, our social constructs created by power. They see that and they are woke. They have woken to this. That's what that means. That's what it means. This is what they see. What they see is that it's all just power. There is no morality. And because they are woke, they're righteous. And because they're righteous, they can do anything. They can storm a capital. They can uh, assa- assassinate the character of a Supreme Court justice. They can even let people go to want to assassinate a Supreme Court justice, even though that's against the law. Have them hang out outside his house. They can do anything, and they're still in the right. Now, that's okay for a political party because political parties are there to defend themselves from uh, accusations. But when the press has joined in, when the corporations have joined in, when the academy has joined in, when Hollywood has joined in, you are dealing with moral sickness. And that moral sickness grows out of a false premise that there is no God. And I'll prove it to you in just a sec. According to leading industry sources, grocery stores across the United States are worried about food shortages. Having a food storage supply is a smart decision that can provide you with peace of mind and security in times of uncertainty. Natural disasters, power outages, and other emergencies can strike at any time. Having a food storage supply ensures that you and your family will have enough food to eat, even if grocery stores close or food supplies are disrupted. That's why you need for Patriot's survival food, four Patriots Survival Food. They offer breakfasts, lunches, and dinners that are good for up to 25 years. Their dinner options include chicken or beef, which is the perfect protein boost for your stockpile. While you browse their meal options, check out their new Aztec Chili with Mango Survival Food Kit. This chili is great as a standalone meal or as a tasty side dish. No matter what, it'll give your family the fuel and energy they need to get through a stressful emergency situation. All their kits are packed with real family favorite recipes you can prepare in a few simple steps. Just check out all their five-star reviews that are raving about the flavor and taste. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase with 4Patriots Survival Food when you use the code CLAVEN. Just head over to 4Patriots.com. That's the number 4Patriots.com and use code CLAVEN at checkout. That's 4Patriots.com. Promo code Claven, which, by the way, is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Claven. There are no E's in Claven. So here is proof that the left knows, the left knows that their premise is that there is no God, and everything that they believe grows out of the premise that there is no God, but the right doesn't know it. All right, The left knows it, but the right doesn't know it. This is a, a serious problem because you can't win an argument if you don't know what you're talking about. U.S. House of Representative Jim Jordan said Monday at least one undercover FBI employee, one undercover FBI employee sought to monitor parishioners in Catholic houses of worship to combat domestic terrorism and developed tripwire and sources. They wanted to find sources in the uh, Catholic Church. According to internal documents released by House Judiciary Committee, FBI authorities plan to use churches as, quote, new avenues for tripwire and source development, sending a message that federal law enforcement may be listening while Americans practice their First Amendment right to worship freely. This is chilling, Jordan said in a tweet. He wrote a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray, 
pointing out that the agency cited a desire to sensitize congregations in the Richmond area of Virginia to the warning signs of radicalization and enlist their assistance to serve a suspicious activity, tripwires. Now, just imagine the reaction if they were talking about a mosque. But that's, you can't do it to a mosque because a mosque is down lower on this imaginary power structure that their entire morals, uh, idea of morality is based on. Here is just a quote uh, from uh, Congressman Jordan. Based on the limited information produced by the FBI to the committee, we now know that the FBI relied on at least one undercover agent to produce its analysis and that the FBI proposed that its agents engage in outreach to Catholic parishes to develop sources among the clergy and church leadership to inform on Americans practicing their faith. Why do you think they want to do that? Why do you think they're targeting Catholics specifically? You know, I know, believe me, I have Catholic and Protestant friends. Put them in a room together. They will soon be fighting about the, uh, you know, uh, virginity of Mary. Believe me, I know all this. But the fact is, the fact is, the first Christian church, the longest Christian church, is the Catholic Christian church and the Orthodox. But here in the West, it's the Catholic, Roman Catholic church. And everything that Protestants protest and everything that Protestants believe, it all comes from the Catholic Church. That doesn't make them right about everything. I'm not saying that Protestants don't have a point. I'm not saying that Protestantism isn't a legitimate religion. I'm just saying that the source, the source of so much of what we talk about and what we think about as Christianity is Catholicism. That's where they're going after it. Do we understand that that's what we're defending? Do we understand that these institutions mean everything? If we lose these institutions, we lose everything, the, the church. It's not just it, it's not just the church. It's the fact that without institutions, you can't fight. You can't fight the power alone. You simply cannot do it. One man cannot stand up against the government, the corporations, the academy, the media. It's not going to do anything unless you have institutions on your side over the long term. Maybe one man can win some victories, but ultimately you have to have institutions behind you. The Wall Street Journal is a piece. They have a Houses of Worship piece uh, column that, that every Friday comes out and talks about religious issues. This is by two lawyers, Nicole Garnett and Meredith Kessler. Uh, and they say, Walter Reed, I, I don't know if you heard the story, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center wrote a letter last week to Holy Name College, a community of Franciscan priests that has provided pastoral care to ho- hospitalized service members for two decades. Okay, so these are priests who come in and they give, you know, uh, last rites or whatever, uh, communion to wounded military, sick military people, or just comfort and, and uh, you know, pastoral care to them. They get a letter from uh, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center saying cease and desist right at Easter. Uh, the group had continued to minister into Holy Week after the government didn't renew its contract, uh, opting instead for what the Archdiocese of the Military Services described as a secular defense contracting firm. So they have dumped these priests. And that means that there will be insufficient access to Catholic sacraments for Catholic troops and veterans. Okay, you know, maybe there's some reason behind it, but there's not because this is part of a broader regulatory push. It's called, they they give it these great names, Partnership with Faith-Based and Neighborhood Organizations. Sounds nice. That sounds nice. They want to force religious groups. This is the Biden administration adding regulations. These are not laws. These are regulations, right, with the force of law. Biden wants to force religious groups to participate in federal hiring guidelines or lose funding. So if you're a Catholic group providing soup to the homeless, but you refuse to hire an atheist uh, gay person because they don't represent your religion, then the homeless can go hungry. Screw them. Screw the homeless. Well, you know, they're, they're not as far down on the ladder as gay people. Gay people are oppressed. 
They also want to remove protections from student religious groups who want to make sure that only people who share their faith can join the club, right? Because you don't want people coming in and undermining your religious club. You got together to share your religion. You don't want people coming in and saying they don't believe it. They want, this is still the Biden administration. They want to change Title IX so a student or faculty member could be expelled or fired simply for espousing traditional beliefs about sex and marriage if a disciplinary body finds it's more likely than not that some will find these views objectionable. So if you have a traditional idea that marriage is between a man and a woman, you're, you, can, uh, you can be expelled or fired from a university. Health and Human Services wants to force religious hospitals and doctors to perform abortions and transgender butchery. Now, some of this stuff has already been ruled illegal by federal courts, but it shows that the Biden, what the Biden administration is doing and that they know who their enemy is. They know exactly who their enemy is. And you know, listen, Joe Biden, if Biden says, I'm a car guy, that means he's going to ban cars. Lock your car because he's coming to get it. If he says, I'm a Catholic, that means he's for ab abortion up to five years old. If, he's, if Joe Biden says, I'm a God guy, uh, the angels uh, you know, better pull out their flaming swords because he's coming after God, and that's who he's coming after. Meanwhile, Luke Rosiak is doing a series here at The Daily Wire showing that deep red states don't elect deep red legislatures. South Dakota, North Dakota, Idaho, and Oklahoma are all more than 80% Republican-controlled, but their brand of legislating ranks among the least conservative in the country at 36th, 37th, 31st, and 35th. The restraint that many Republicans show stands in contrast to the behavior of Democrats in places like Virginia, who briefly took over chambers, uh, both chambers in 2019 and immediately began ramming through far-left legislation despite the narrowest of mandates. We see this again and again. I don't need to tell you this. I mean, has a Republican leadership ever done the kinds of things that Joe Biden is doing, the kind of far left things that Joe Biden is doing. I get letters from liberal friends. You conservatives, you're all radicals now. They don't notice. They don't notice that Joe Biden is the most radical president we've ever had. This administration is the most radical administration we've ever had because the minute they have even a narrow majority, even a tie in the Senate, they go full bore and we don't. Why? Because they believe what they believe and we do not. You know, conservatives misdiagnose the problem. They say, they fight dirty, we have to fight dirty. They're not fighting dirty. They're not by their philosophy, they're not. They are following their moral philosophy. Their moral philosophy is based on a premise that there's no God, that everything is based on power. They are following their philosophy. They don't have a double standard. They don't, they're not acting immorally. According to them, they're doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing. Are we, are we fighting morally? See, we don't have to fight dirty. We have to fight right. And it's not fighting morally, by the way, just to answer that YouTube commentator, to do things that lose all the time. Oh, we're supposed to be loving like Jesus, so we shouldn't do anything. No, this is a fight. You can be in a fight. You can be in a political fight. You shouldn't be low. You shouldn't be a bore. You shouldn't be dishonest because we believe in honesty. But we have to fight for the things that we believe, for the reasons that we believe. But the problem is, I and I really do believe this, I don't think we actually believe in God. I listen to conservatives and they talk about the market. The market's gonna fix everything. They talk about science. It's the science and nature is on our side, but they do not talk about the things that matter, the morality of it. And I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna do the culture section next and get into some of this Dylan Mulvaney thing Truly, I'm tired of talking about the guy, but he represents something, and the fact that what Bud Light did represents something, and all of it is because, all of it is because we do not make our argument honestly. They do. 
They make their argument honestly. Their argument is wrong because their premise is wrong because there is a God. He did create us, but they make their argument honestly, and we don't, and we better start because all this noise, all this kind of uh, strutting around and pounding on the chest going, no, we got to be dirty. We got to be ugly. They're ugly. We got to be ugly. That's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to lose that fight because they're doing it with a clean conscience, and you won't be, and you're going to lose. I'm telling you, I I will show you in just a minute why we lose the fight over transgenderism when it's so obvious that they are wrong and we're right. There are certain things in life that you do to protect your family. You get life insurance, you save for a rainy day fund, and you write a will. Epic will isn't for people who are already wealthy with a massive estate. Those people need an attorney. Epic will is for people who are building their estate. It's for people who are just getting started. Epic Will provides a simple and secure platform to create a legally binding will in minutes. Their user-friendly interface allows you to easily customize your will and ensure that your assets are distributed according to your wishes. Unlike traditional law firms that charge high fees for will drafting, Epic Will's services are affordable and transparent with no hidden costs or surprises. All you need to do is fill out their step-by-step form, and they'll help you create your last will and testament, living will, health care, and financial power of attorney in as little as five minutes and for just $119. Having a will can ensure that your wishes are carried out after you pass away and may provide peace of mind for both you and your loved ones. Go to epicwill.com slash Clavin to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That's epicwill.com slash K-L-A-V-A-N. No E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. So there was this interesting moment on backstage, the last backstage, when Matt Walsh and I were talking. And I said to to Matt Walsh, you know, uh, once once you lose your faith in God, a lot of what the left is saying makes sense. And he said, why? Uh, You know, they're talking about this transgenderism thing, but just without God, evolution demands that women, you know, be the bearers and nurturers of children. They're going to be different than men and all this stuff. And that's true, but it's not enough. And I'll show you why. Uh, Roger Kimball, terrific writer. He's at the, he's the guy from the New Criterion, writes about the arts. Uh, he writes these, I I'm, must be on his mailing list because I get like three of his columns a week and each one is this perfectly crafted, a scholarly, well-reasoned uh, thing. I don't know how he does it, how he turns out that kind of material like as often as he does. But he wrote this one that referred back to George Washington's famous farewell address. Uh, which was drafted originally by James Madison, then edited somewhat by Alexander Hamilton, and it was published. He never delivered it. Washington never delivered his farewell address. It was just published in a newspaper. Now, I'm a big, big Washington fan. I'm a big believer that this country has lasted as long as it has because of Washington, because Washington, as a figure, made us ashamed to do anything but what Washington did. He was a virtuous man. His demeanor and his courage under fire uh, and his commitment to common sense and his commitment to liberty uh, just impressed itself on the nation and just made everybody sort of say, well, I can't do that because Washington didn't do it. You know, his speech, this farewell address is read every year on the Senate floor. You can, it's hilarious. In Washington, D.C., you can find yourself in Washington uh, in the Georgetown section, named after George Washington, on what was once Washington Street, looking at the Washington Monument. I mean, George Washington made an impression. Now, in Kimball's ar- argument, in Kimball's article, he laments the fact 
that Washington's wisdom from this speech is lost. Uh, he warned against power hunger. He warned against foreign wars and getting involved in foreign wars. He warned against factionalism, party loyalty. Uh, he warned against getting into debt. And like I said, the speech is read every year on the Senate floor, but obviously the Senate and the House are no longer following the warnings that Washington put forward. But I want to settle on just one of those warnings, right? Because that's what I'm talking about today. And I just want to show you what Washington said and why I think it is one of the wisest things any American has ever said and why I think forgetting it has cost us so much of our country. He said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, Religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, this, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. So we're talking about all those regulations that Joe Biden wants to undermine religion. We're talking about the FBI spying on the Catholics. He says you cannot call yourself a patriot if that is what you're doing. The mere politician equally with the pious man, ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? How are you going to get any justice if the oaths people swear don't mean anything, right? And let us, and this is the important part, it's all important, but this is the most important part, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. And just because that's old-fashioned language, what he is saying is no matter how sophisticated you are, no matter how uh, well-educated you are, you cannot expect national morality to continue if you take away religious principles. Now, I want you to notice, he said, he didn't say religion. He said religious principles, the underlying beliefs of religion, not going to church, but why you go to church, not prayers, but who you pray to. That's what he's talking about. And modern conservatives, because they are idiots, right? <laughs> they think that that translates in religious, religion is good because it's useful, because it makes people do good things. It makes them afraid they'll go to hell, and so it's useful. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is morality stands on the principles that religion represents. He's saying that without religious principles, the principle of supernatural belief, without that, there is no underlying structure to morality. And he happens to be right. So take this transgender thing. You say that since reality is just a series of power structures, this is what the left says, gender is an illusion. Even the natural tendency of a boy to like a girl and a girl to like a boy, that's a a construct of power. There was an article just the other day, if you have favoritism toward one kind of genitalia over another, you are transphobic. Now we say, look at the science. Look at the science. Evolution creates people to reproduce. That's what you know, evolution cares about. Women are the people made to do this. They've evolved to do this, not just their bodies, but their minds, their hearts. Everything about them is geared toward this. Their brains are different than men, so they must be different. And we have a natural cross-sex attraction in order to create new people. Sex isn't there uh, just for fun. It's there to create new people. All of that is true, but why doesn't it move them? Why is the president of the United States saying such evil things like children should be butchered? And it's, I can't imagine the evil of a parent preventing his child from being sexually butchered. 
In California, people have lost their children. They've lost their custodial rights to their children because they wouldn't let them be butchered. They wouldn't let the ghouls take them away. So are these people in California, are they devils? Are they demons? No, no. They have a theory. They have a theory. Let's say we're right, and we are right, that nature makes men and women different. Nature also makes summer hot. But you use air conditioning, right? You use air conditioning to get around nature. Uh, We fly. Nature didn't give us wings. Nature gives us cancer, but we use science to fight cancer, hopefully get rid of it. Nature is not our friend. So the fact that men and women are naturally different is not really a good argument. And underlying this, a lot of these people know it, even though they don't say it out loud. A lot of them know that this is a bad argument. Why should, if you don't, you know, a lot of uh, people are saying, uh, they're saying, I'm, I'm being poisoned by my hormones. A boy is 12 and suddenly the hormones act up and he says, I didn't ask for this. Why is this toxin being allowed to flow through my body? If I had other toxins, I would go to a doctor. Why can't I go to a doctor to stop this toxin of testosterone from flowing through my body? That is literally what they're saying. That is, you know, it's not a direct quote, but it is a quote, right? Now, this week I did a video because these guys torture my producer, Danny, tortures me making me watch this stuff, uh, where I watched Dylan Mulvaney's endorsing products. And I watched this Bud Light commercial that he was in. Take a look at this for a minute. Hi. Impressive carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So, I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Check out my Instagram story to see how you can enjoy March Madness with Bud Light and maybe win some money, too. Love ya! Cheers! Go team! Whatever team you love, I love, too. Okay. Love ya. Okay. Break a leg. Woo! (laughs) So... I was looking at this, doing this video, and I thought, you know, he's not being a girl. He's playing a girl. He's performing a girl, right? I mean, my wife is the most feminine person I've ever met. She doesn't know anything about sports. She doesn't talk like that. You know why? She's a grown woman. She's a grown lady who likes lady things, just like I'm a grown man. I like I like man things, but I don't walk around and say, yeah, I like sports. I like, I'm an intelligent human being. I'm a sophisticated human being. I like sports because I'm a man. She doesn't. She's a lady. You know, she's still, she's not a child. She doesn't talk like that. Most girls, by the way, know what March Madness is, I'm informed. But still, I was just talking to Candace out in the hall. She said, all girls know what March Madness is. But but that isn't, isn't even the point, though, because they don't, she's talking like a, he's talking like a child. As if women were children. It's incredibly offensive. It is exactly as if I put blackface on and used an Amos and Andy black voice and sold products to black people. I mean, it's, it's exactly the same thing. It's actually worse. It's actually worse because black men and, and white men are really basically the same. Black women and white women are basically the same. But women and men are different no matter what color they are. So he's really taking away uh, a, a person's, a, an important person point, an important part of a person's identity. All right. So he's just playing and it's all right just to play. That's all they're doing. they, They basically think that's okay because there is nothing there but play. They truly believe this. There is nothing there but play. If everything is produced by power differentials that have no moral valence whatsoever, they have no moral weight whatsoever, then it's all play. 
you don't really, uh, you're not really attracted to the opposite sex. You're just told you're not allowed to be attracted to the same sex. That's all. It's incredibly offensive, but they don't see it as offensive because they have a thesis. They have a theory that it's all play. It's all play. So you're a woman playing a woman. He's a man playing a woman. You're both women. That's, they really believe this. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just making this up. It's written down on, in things that I have read that, God help you, you don't have to read them, I hope. But, but still, you know, this is an actual theory. And it, and it goes back to, to good philosophy. I mean, there's interesting philosophy back in the 19th century uh, German philosophers. They said a lot of interesting things and a lot of important things. But the derivatives of those philosophies have become completely false because they've been politicized by Karl Marx, they've been sexualized by Sigmund Freud, and they've been super-sexualized by Michel Foucault. And, and that's why they have become what they are. But still, still, it is based in philosophy that makes sense. There's a new movie being released today, Friday. It's called Nefarious. Now, you may think this is just another completely forgettable horror film. Let me tell you why this looks different. Nefarious was made by the same Christian filmmakers who made God's Not Dead and Unplanned. It's not a horror film. It's an intelligent, suspenseful, supernatural thriller about a serial killer who claims He's a demon. A psychiatrist is called in to see if the man's gone crazy or is faking insanity to avoid death row. The psychiatrist is your standard Ivy League guy. He doesn't believe in demons and God, any of that nonsense, but he doesn't quite realize what he's up against. This film is surprising, thought-provoking, something you definitely want to see. Nefarious opens nationwide starting today, April 14th. Go to whoisnefarious.com and buy your tickets today. That's whoisnefarious.com. For tickets. So what is it that we are saying? What is it that we say to these people that makes that that is our response? And I know what you're going to say when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, and then I'll tell you what I think you're going to say. We are not just saying that male and female are made by nature. We are saying that male and female is good, that it is good that there are men and women, that it is morally right that there are men and women, that being a man or being a woman is not just a fleshly thing. It is an obligation and a gift. It is a gift and it comes with responsibility. And our reason for saying that, and the only reason there can be for saying that, is because we believe that we were made in God's image, male and female. That is what we believe. That's our premise. It has always been our premise because otherwise, nature can be mutilated. We do it when we cut out cancer. Why not cut off breasts and testicles if somebody says, oh, you know, I was just, I was an innocent, you know, person walking around and now suddenly I have these breasts and men are looking at me. I'm being poisoned by this, you know, uh, estrogen. It's turning me into something I don't want to be. It's alienating me from my own body. My body is a stranger to me. Stop, stop. I'm going to the doctor to get this fixed. That's what they're saying. That is what they're saying. That is why Joe Biden can sit there, this demented old man, and sit there and go, yeah, it's not, it's not a good thing when uh, you keep, parents keep their children from transitioning. He literally can say that and not understand that he's being evil. He does not think he's evil because his ideas make sense because he doesn't really believe, no matter how many times he goes to church, he doesn't really believe that he was made in God's image because he doesn't really believe in God. These transgender people, they think they're being poisoned by chemicals. What we are saying is no, no, that shape of your body is God's image in you. And yes, you know, we understand that there's tension between body and, and spirit. You know, 
no, nobody is all woman or all man. You know, nobody is all masculine traits or all feminine traits. It's a preponderance. It's a, it's a leaning toward a way of being. And if there's tension, and there always is some tension, but if there's great tension, it's entirely possible that settling that uh, tension spiritually is what you're meant to do. That life is a spiritual business. It's entirely possible that working this out is working out that tension is the way you're going to go forward into the best person you can be, the person you were made to be. You know, <laughs> women don't have to be little powder puffs, and they don't have to certainly have to be what that guy is pretending they are. Men don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or Navy SEALs. I'm not a Navy SEAL. I want my manhood to express itself uh, in other ways. I want it to express itself in fearless truth-telling. I'll never back down from telling the truth. I want it to express itself in vigorous creativity and a work ethic and taking care of the women and children who I think are in my charge. You know, because we don't understand what the argument is, because we don't understand what the argument is, listen to people who don't believe in God, who are not religious people. Listen to what they say. Here's Joe Rogan. Now, I like Joe Rogan. I'm not attacking Joe Rogan. But he came on his show and drank a Bud Light and said, what they're doing is just spreading the brand to an extra group of people. If something is good, why do I give an F if who's got it? Like, would we do this with cheesecake? You know what I'm saying? Look, if there was like a, a you know, some kind of great cheesecake and all of a sudden, you know, some radical group like Antifa really got into the cheesecake... What, what do we care, right? That's what he's saying. Even worse, even worse. Here's, a, an, I think, an incredibly dishonest attack by Jon Stewart, uh, you know, the comedian. He's talking to Oklahoma State Senator Robbie Suave, right? And he's, he wants to make a point about guns. And he says, why can't there be um, drag queen story hour? Can we play that? You want to ban drag show readings to children. To my house, yes. Why? Why, why, what are you protecting? Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning, that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh -huh. in certain instances to What's protect What's the children? leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. All right, I'm sorry, I got the Oklahoma State Senator's name wrong. It's Nathan Dom, is it? Nathan Dom. Um, all right, so Stewart is making the point that many children are killed by firearms, but Drag Queen Story Hour is just this amorphous threat. What's the problem with Drag Queen Story Hour? Now, first of all, there are and should be laws protecting children from firearms. Firearms should be kept under lock and key if you've got a if you've got children in your house and children should be taught, older children should be taught how to use firearms so they don't blow their heads off. All that is fine. The government does have a right to protect children from firearms. But the larger point is this. Drag Queen Story Hour isn't just drag screen, drag queen story hour. It's preachment. It is preaching. It's exactly the same as a priest saying we want to have priests story hour where the priest comes in and reads a Christian text to children. Try doing that in a public school, okay? This is a preaching. The drag queen is an expression of the philosophy I've been talking about, that it's all play. You're a woman who wears a dress. You're just a woman dressing up as a woman. You're just a person dressing up as a woman. So's a drag queen. There's no 
difference. There is no difference. This is actually the philosophy. I am not making this up. This is the philosophy. So what John Stewart is saying is utterly false. We don't want our children to see this because we believe it is good they are boys and girls, that they are made in God's image, male and female. This is what you believe whether you want to acknowledge it or not because there's no other argument for what we're saying. There is no other argument. We say, well, it's nature, it's nature, but nature is bad as well as good. There are things about people that are bad as well as good. There's envy and there's greed and there's all kinds of things about people that we don't think are good. We think this is good because it's central to creation. And we think creation is organized by a creator and we think that creator is good. That is what we're saying. If we don't make that argument, we will lose. We will lose this argument. Even All we're depending on now is a natural uh, disgust at cutting children up. That's what we're basically doing. It's just, it's just custom that is keeping people on our side at all. It's only custom. It's only the fact that no one has ever done this before. They'll get used to it. They'll get used to it. You'll be cutting up children right and left. You'll be cutting them when they're five. You'll be cutting them up because mom didn't want a boy. You wanted, she wanted a girl, so cut them up now. All of that stuff will happen if we don't make the argument and stick to it and, make, and show that it's right. And you say, well, they don't believe in God. Well, I don't believe in blind forces that create humanity, okay? So their, their premise is just as much an axiom, an unprovable axiom, as my premise. My premise makes more sense. It makes more moral sense. It makes sense of the world better than, they, than theirs does. And it actually explains science a lot better than theirs does, too. We don't want our children seeing a drag show because we think it's good that they're male and female. We don't want them to be confused about that, right? We want our kids to learn. Listen, we think that there's a purpose to being a human being, right? This, this is the thing. We think we were made with a purpose. God made us in his image, male and female, and he wants us to express love through that, through that connection. And by the way, I'm, please don't take this as an attack on transgender persons. It's not. It's not an attack on homosexual persons. Mind your own business. They may have another way to God. I don't know. They're not my problem. They are not my problem. They're not your problem. They're only your problem when they come in after your children. They're only your problem when we say they have rights uh, to, to get married when we know marriage is between a man and a woman. You know, this, this is the problem. It's the philosophy. It is not the people. I, I'm not preaching against people. I am preaching. I am preaching a system of life that actually believes that we are modeled on something. We come from someone. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote. I'm sure I've read it before, but he says, the first qualification for judging any piece of workmanship from a corkscrew, corkscrew to a cathedral is to know what it is, what it was intended to do, and how it was meant to to be used. Now, that seems to me simple common sense. You cannot tell whether something is good unless you know what it's for and whether it's doing what it's for. It seems to me that we were made with a purpose, that purpose is to come close to God in love. Our purpose is to become part of God's vine, a, a branch of his vine in love and to bear his fruit, which is love. And I'm not talking about erotic love. I'm talking about agape love. I'm talking about love of neighbor uh, and love of God. And you can't love your neighbor like yourself until you love yourself. And you can't love yourself until you accept yourself as you were made, as you were meant to be, as you were meant to be. I don't think God makes any girls who are meant to be boys. I don't think he makes any boys who are meant to be girls. He does create tension between our bodies and ourselves. And that tension is meant to be worked out in love. And, you know, every, every marriage brings together these two kinds of people. 
uh, into a whole. And in that whole, I think we become a little bit like each other. I think that's a good thing. I think we take on, uh, you know, we get to see through our wives' eyes. We get to see through our husbands' eyes. We get to see completely because we are only made half. And again, this is not a judgment on anybody else because you know what? That's the other thing God told us not to do is not to judge people. He And he really meant it. He wasn't kidding around. He was the word of God for a reason because when he spoke, he meant what he was saying. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the purpose of being us. Most people, the vast number of people, are made to be straight, are made to marry the opposite sex. And in that, we think it is good that they do that. It doesn't matter what the rest of the people do. And let them find their, their work out their own salvation and fear and trembling. What I'm talking about is the vast majority of people. Our civilizations are built on the production of children. Our whole uh, way of life is built on the fact that these two people come together and children are, are made out of them. If we don't believe in this, if we don't believe that this is good, we got no argument. We have got no argument. They have worked this out really well. They have worked their philosophy out over uh, over a century, uh, and we have our we have two thousand years of philosophy that we have simply left behind because we think it's old fashioned. It's not. It happens to be the truth. Hiring used to be really hard. I mean, look at the people who do this show, right? <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Uh, you know, what happened in the old days is you post your job on multiple sites, hope the right people see it, and then wait for them to apply, and then this is what you get. The same goes for finding a job. You upload your resume to every job posting site and comb through never-ending lists of jobs trying to find the right position for you. Well... Now you've got ZipRecruiter. It's the best place to find the right position, or if you're an employer, it's the best place to find the right person to join your team. ZipRecruiter helps you find the most qualified people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter's matching technology helps you find the most qualified candidates for a wide range of roles. See a candidate you like, you can easily send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. See why even the most prestigious businesses count on ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. If we had used ZipRecruiter, we'd have somebody who would explain to you how to spell Clavin, but now I have to do it. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There is no denying the transformative power of prayer. However, that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it does. Now, I could explain this to you absolutely brilliantly with perfect clarity, but, you know, I, I got to have a little charity in my soul, and I'll let Ben Shapiro explain in this clip from the latest episode of Exodus. The idea of, of prayer that, that you're talking about is obviously a lot more meaningful because it's really not about changing God's mind. It's about changing who you are, mm -hmm. and thus God naturally responds to you differently because you're not the person that you were before you prayed. Mm -hmm. right? the, the, the verb to, to pray in Hebrew is actually in the reflexive tense, right? Lahit palel, mm -hmm. right? Which is supposed to, the idea is that it's supposed to be something that acts on you. The prayer is supposed right, to act right. on you. It's not supposed to be something where you're attempting to pry an answer out of God. All right, I got to admit that was a pretty good explanation. I love hearing Ben talk about uh, the Hebrew Bible. He just does a great job. Uh, and as you may know, Ben recently joined Jordan Peterson and his esteemed group of colleagues for a series on Exodus. What you just heard is only one pearl of wisdom on a very large string. New episodes are coming online every week exclusively for Daily Wire Plus members. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Exodus. 
Now, obviously, so much of what we're talking about today has to do with the education of children and teaching them uh, the way that they should go. Uh, that's why I wanted to talk to Lance Izumi. He's the senior director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. Uh, he's the co-author of a new book called The Great Parent Revolt, How Parents and Grassroots Leaders Are Fighting Critical Race Theory in America's Schools. Lance, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. It's a great pleasure and an honor to be on your show with you. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, you talk about the Great Parent Revolt, and all of us hope this is happening. Uh, let me ask you first, what, what is it? What, is there such a thing as the Great Parent Revolt? No, I, I think absolutely. I think you're seeing that all across the country. And the reason why we wrote this book is because these parents are uh, revolting for a number of reasons. But one of the uh, most important reasons that we're seeing uh, recently is they're revolting against the imposition and indoctrination of uh, their kids in the classroom with uh, critical race theory. And so what we're seeing is that these uh, uh, schools across America, doesn't matter whether you're in a red state or a purple state or a blue state, you're seeing this type of indoctrination being force fed to kids all across America. And parents are revolting at the grassroots. And they're saying that, hey, this is not right. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter whether they happen to be Democrats or Republicans even. You know, they don't want their kids to be divided based upon race and uh, made to uh, dislike and hate each other. And they, because they see that this, in the end, is not going to work out for them in, when they become adults and hopefully become part of a successful, you know, multiracial uh, society. Well, you know, this is one of the things I keep hearing every time parents say we don't want to hear critical race theory. Everybody, the press, everyone comes out and says they're not teaching critical race theory in the schools. What did parents see exactly that made them feel that that's not true? Well, I think, you know, first of all, you know, uh, we, we need to understand what critical race theory is, you know, regardless of what uh, the uh, left uh, labels it as. Critical race theory is basically racial Marxism. And so, in, uh, whereas in classical Marxism, you divided people based upon socioeconomic class, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat, the rich versus the poor. Under racial Marxism, which is basically what critical race theory is, you divide people uh, into oppressor and oppressed classes uh, based upon their race with whites and sometimes Asians uh, listed as the oppressor class and other non-whites as being um, part of the oppressed class. And uh, the problem with uh, that is that, you know, whereas you can, uh, you know, go up the economic ladder, which is why uh, classical Marxism never really took off here in America, because there was such social and economic mobility. But uh, you can't change the color of your skin, which works out great for the left, because you will always be a part of the oppressor or oppressed class, depending on the pigment of your skin. And so therefore, uh, you know, what that's what parents are seeing in the classroom. And one of the things we uh, show in our book, The Great Parent Revolt, is exactly what's going on in the classroom. And I think that's one of the important things is that this book is not just a reference book about academic theories. This is about the experiences of parents and students and grassroots leaders with uh, critical race theory in the classroom. And uh, for example, we interview a, um, uh, a student uh, from California named Joshua, who we changed his name, but uh, you know, he tells us about his middle school experience where he was forced to uh, take a, a critical race theory inspired lessons uh, and engage in them. And for example, he was forced to uh, stand in a so-called privilege walk uh, where all the students would stand shoulder to shoulder. And as the teacher at the front of the class would call out privilege traits uh, like I am white or I am male or I am Christian, 
that student would have to take a step forward in front of his whole class. And because uh, the student that we interviewed was the only white male in the class, he was felt that he felt that he was being negatively uh, targeted because of that. And he felt like he wasn't in a classroom anymore. He said he felt like he was in a criminal lineup instead. Uh And so that's what you're seeing in these classrooms. And regardless of what the left calls a exercise like that, it's uh, it's actually it's just plain evil and wrong to make children uh, engage in that. What so parents? I mean, we've seen parents locked out of school board meetings. We've seen them uh, investigated by the FBI. We've seen them uh, intimidated by huge government agencies. Uh, just uh, this incredibly uh, un-American uh, assault on the right to do what you will with your own children and make sure you have some control. What are parents doing? Or you call it the great parent, the book is called The Great Parent Revolt, how parents and grassroots leaders are fighting critical race theory in America's schools. How are they? Well, they're, they're engaging in all kinds of different activities. I think that uh, what, what's important for folks to understand is that the people we profile in our book are basically ordinary American parents who are actually doing extraordinary things uh, because of what their kids are facing in the classroom. For example, we profile a um, Rhode Island mom who uh, wanted to know about the critical race theory curriculum in her daughter's classroom, and she was being stonewalled by the district and so the, when she kept pressing, the principal said, well, why don't you file a public records request? Well, <laughs> they didn't know what they were getting into because she ended up filing not one or two or 10. She filed 160 different public records requests. And the, in response, the district threatened to sue her for filing so many public records requests. Uh, but they eventually backed down because she eventually got legal counsel and said that you cannot do that, especially against somebody you told uh, advised to file those requests in the first place. So pe- uh, parents across the country are, are filing those requests. They're also forming organizations. Like you're seeing uh, these new parent organizations just explode all around the country, like Moms for Liberty. We interviewed the co-founder of Moms for Liberty for our book, The Great Parent Revolt. And it went from you know just a few parents to uh, 200 chapters across the country in all states virtually all states across this country, with nearly 100,000 members. There are other uh, organizations such as No Left Turn in Education, Parents Defending Education, all those sorts of uh, organizations are up. Also, too, you're seeing parents are running for school board, and uh, they're actually winning. And that's uh, really an amazing thing. We profile some parent school board members uh, who have won their elections. We profile uh, a, a pers- uh, a fellow who started a political action committee simply to help Parents run for school boards to uh, fight critical race theory, and they, they have flipped school boards that have been pro-teacher union majorities to pro-parent majorities all across this country. And finally, the last thing that parents are doing is they're suing. They're suing uh, uh, to uh, prevent their kids from being persecuted in the classroom. And one of the people we uh, uh, profile is an African-American mom who uh, is, was low-income, disabled, mother of uh, five kids, a widow. And her kid uh, was being uh, prevented from graduating in a, uh, from a high school because he refused to engage in a critical race theory inspired lesson. Wow. And because of that, he took his stand. They were going they, they withheld his high school diploma from him. And she said, this can't be. So she sued in federal court and forced the school to back down and give him that diploma that he should have had in the first place. How much of this is backed by the teachers' unions? I mean, once you take over a school board, do you have the power that you need, or are the teachers still going to teach this stuff regardless? 
Oh, no, it, it's totally backed by uh, the teachers' union, Andrew. Uh, it's part of the education deep state. It's not mm-hmm. just the teachers' union, but the teachers' union are a big part of that. You listen to uh, any of the major uh, teachers' unions, whether it's the Af- American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association, they're backing this uh, stuff in, in its various guises. And so it's not only just critical race theory, but critical race theory often comes in under the disguise of diversity, equity, inclusion, and some other types of euphemisms. But it's basically the same thing. And so the teachers' unions, uh, the, the bureaucracies, uh, the, oftentimes the, you know, the, the district leadership, they're all backing this stuff. And so, uh, and, and it's also this uh, university schools of education that are teaching the prospective teachers. Uh, are are backing this stuff. So, you know, it's unsurprising that, uh, you know, you have teachers who are just uh, swallowing this thing uh, hook, line, and sinker. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm almost out of time, but just one last thing. Do you, did you talk, you talked to a lot of people, these are personal stories in this book, The Great Parent Revolt. Do you hear people saying that they're getting pushback from the federal government? Are they getting the kind of things that we're afraid of when we hear the FBI is investigating them and that sort of thing? Well, they told us about that. I mean, not, not specifically the FBI, uh, but, you know, uh, these people are getting pushback uh, from various uh, places. I mean, well, I mean, you just have to take, uh, I'll, I'll go back to your uh, question about the teachers union. When Nicole Salas, the Rhode Island mom I, I mentioned who filed all those public records requests, uh, you know, um, did that, and the uh, school board uh, backed down from filing a lawsuit against her, the teachers union then took up the that uh, that war and filed a lawsuit against her. And so, you know, these people are getting pushback. But the great thing is that uh, uh, these parents are winning. You know, as I mentioned, they're winning uh, both at the ballot box, they're winning in court. And uh, I think that you're going to see that uh, this movement of parents is not just going to be a flash in the pan, that you're going to see uh, these parents, you know, really continue to uh, drive the engine of education reform. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things we, we mentioned in the book is that a lot of these parents are actually immigrant parents from communist China and other places where you, they felt the sting of real oppression and they don't want to see it happen in America. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, the book is The Great Parent Revolt, How Parents and Grassroot Leaders Are Fighting Critical Race Theory in America's Schools. Uh, Lance Azumi is one of uh, the authors, but you can get it anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much, Lance, for coming on. It was really interesting. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Andrew. I really appreciate you having me on your show. I'll talk to you again. Thanks. All right. We've been speaking about God uh, this whole show. And as you know, uh, hell is separation from God. Uh, and so it's a little bit like the Clavenless Week. Um, well, no, I guess that doesn't actually work. But the Clavenless Week does have the same kind of wailing and gnashing of teeth, fire, flames, you know, eternal torment and all of that. And you're going to be plunged into that in just about uh, just a few minutes, unless... Unless you become a member today, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. And you can go a little bit longer into the member block and then avoid, you know, something kind of, it's kind of like hell. You know, it's like it's, there's, there's definite similarities. However, even if you don't subscribe, even if you don't, we're going to solve all your problems with the mailbag. <laughs> it wasn't my fault, I swear to God! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another excerpt from the Biden report on the disaster in Afghanistan uh, from Jack. I have a question which would be most suited to you because you it concerns video games and you seem to take video games more seriously than everyone else. 
My question is, do you think that an addiction to reading could be as bad as an addiction to video games? I have classmates who spend all their spare time reading, and they seem to get a more positive response from teachers, parents, etc. than me and my friends who will spend most of our free time playing games instead. I realize that reading is more classical than gaming and that it is easier to learn from reading than from games. And my father has told me that there is no replacement for reading, even if it is just for pleasure. What is your opinion? Thanks. Your father is right. Um, you can get addicted to anything and you should get outside and you should live and play and interchange with people. And if you're reading all the time, uh, that may not be a good thing. And certainly if you're reading trash all the time, I'm not sure I see much of a difference between reading utter trash like romance novels and, and playing video games. But no, if you looked at the most beautiful pictures in the world, went to a museum and looked at, just stood there and looked at the uh, most beautiful paintings, if you went and listened to the most beautiful music in the world, it would be uplifting and it would be uh, soul-stirring, but you'd still have to read. So you can get rid of all those things. You shouldn't, but you could, but you can't get rid of reading. Reading is how we get information. It's how information is stored. Uh, it is how uh, we learn. It is, there is absolutely no, no um, nothing that replaces it. Uh, it, it, is just, it is just everything. If, you're, if you spend your life playing video games, first, you'll be a moron. And, se and second of all, you will not get the experience of connecting to another mind in thought that you get from reading. So yeah, there's trash reading. I understand that. I understand what you're saying there. But most people who read a lot even if as a kid they read trash, they come to read better things over time. Uh, reading is the cornerstone of everything. And I would go further than that and say reading books is the cornerstone of everything. I don't think reading the internet is the same as reading books. People who read books think better. Uh, they have uh, longer attention spans and they have information coming in that you're just not getting from video games or any kind of visual art or even uh, oral art. I love music, love painting, I love video games, but they're not the same thing as reading. Your father's right on this one, sorry. Um, from Anonymous, um, what advice would you give to a woman in my situation? Uh, my husband and I have been married over 20 years. He struggled with addiction to pornography, infidelity, and recently alcoholism. Uh, we've gone through counseling together, and sometimes it's good, but often we're miserable. Uh, a year ago, I tried to talk to him about the alcohol. He threatened me with divorce. Uh, we've since barely spoken to each other, and I suspect he is, again, uh, unfaithful to me. I homeschool our four children. I've been a stay-at-home mom since the birth of our first child. I'm a Christian and have very strong ideas against divorce. Uh, I believe that my marriage vows and the stability of a two-parent home for our children are too important, but I'm too broken to continue like this. Um, my husband and I don't fight in front of our kids, but our kids have noticed that I'm miserable. Um, you speak frequently on your show about the beauty of women. I'm not beautiful, and I can understand that my husband longs for physical beauty, but I cannot justify his infidelity. I'm going through this very quickly. It's very long. Um, faithful and loyal to my husband. He was my best friend once. I work hard on our, on our home. I've prayed and fasted and prayed some more for healing. I'm completely dependent on him for financial support. If I were to leave him, I would no longer be able to continue teaching my children. I'm stuck in indecision. Um, some days I look at my husband, and I feel that he has checked out of our marriage completely. Uh, then I look at my beautiful children. I just have to keep going. Can you give me any hope? I can't give you a lot of hope. You're in a bad, a tragic situation, and you should start to do things to mitigate that tragedy, to lessen uh, the tragedy. I'm not sure I can solve, I don't think I can solve this problem uh, for you, but um, it, it really does depend. Your husband's an alcoholic. I mean, I think that that's pretty clear. And alcoholics do terrible things. They cheat, they lie, they do awful things because they do not want to give up their booze. Now, uh, 
I think one thing is that you need someone to go talk to, and you probably you should get a, at least a therapist. You might need a lawyer as well, uh, and you should do it if you can uh, independently and without consulting your husband. You need to construct a life within this tragedy that is not itself tragic. You need to have thing, interests of your own. You need to have friends of your own. You need to have some uh, some counselors of your own. Ultimately, maybe you're going to have to get divorced. I don't think it's immoral to divorce a man like this. I think this man is abusing you. He's abusive, and I don't think it's immoral to divorce him. Uh, eventually, that toxin, the children will understand there's a toxin in their lives, and it will affect them. Uh, but I think that you have to build first a, a world inside this world. If you can't get away, the reason I say that, the only reason I say it is practical, because if you can't get away from him without uh, losing all your financial support, then he has a lot of power, and he may get the kids away from you or fight to get the kids away from you. You just don't know how he'll react. But you have got to get some therapy for yourself outside of him and some counseling that is directed toward you so you can understand your situation and create inside that situation a place where you can live and hopefully get out of it eventually because I think this this marriage is over. Uh, he's not being a husband and I, I, it's, I, I'm really sorry for you. It's, it's a tragic situation um, and it, by tragic, I mean the answers are not, there are no easy answers, but I think you can begin to be, build a life for yourself and then possibly break that life off from him uh, when you have the power and when you have the uh, uh, chance to do it. But you need counseling. You need, you need somebody to advise you as you go along that way. And I think you should find that right away. Um, here's from another woman says, I'm a Christian lady in my 30s. Uh, I'd like to get married, but I've never even had a boyfriend. I'm very sociable, but I always end up in the friend zone. I'm in the military and especially male heavy career field. I might be intimidating uh, to men. I don't go to bars, clubs. So pretty much the only place besides work I can meet men is at church, but most men my age are already married. Uh, some friends have encouraged me to try online dating, um, but I, I hope to meet someone the old fashioned way. Um, I've heard that computer dating is mostly a booty call instead of a serious search for life partner. Uh, do you think I should give online dating a chance or keep holding out to meet the man God is for me organically? I'd greatly appreciate your wisdom on this topic. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, but, but go to an online dating thing that's not a hookup thing, right? You don't go to Tinder uh, or whatever it is that, it, uh, that they're doing now. Uh, you go to a Christian dating thing that makes it very clear that you want a serious relationship and that you're not going to be anybody's hookup or booty call. That's definitely, you should try it. It's just, it's just a modern way to do these things. And I know a lot of people who've met that way. And so, um, and so why not at least try it? If it's awful, it's awful. Don't do it, but you know, be careful, uh, and make sure you vet people before you go. But I, yeah, try it. Definitely. Um, Hey, Andrew, my family and I are very conservative. I've even managed to keep my two teens conservative. We're in California. My question is, do you think California can ever turn red again? If not, why? If yes, what would it take? P.S. You always make my kids giggle when I'm listening to you in the car. Uh, it's possible. It's a really long fight, and it's what I was talking about last week. You've got to take political action. You've got to fight in each borough, whatever uh, district you're in, fight for that congressman. You got to do small things. Uh, you're not going to do it overnight. Um, I have friends there who are working on it and trying to do it. But, you know, you got to go stay away from the big move and do the little thing where you build organizations, build right-wing conservative and Republican organizations. That can bring the support that candidates need and make sure you hold those candidates to account. Um, you know, when um, when Larry Elder went in there, he took all the air out of the room and he ran a national campaign and he lost. And that was a mistake on Larry's part. You've got to fight the fight that you're in and take it back 
California one little step at a time. All right, I'm going to end there for people who are not subscribers. If you are a subscriber, come to Member Block, and we have more to go. If you want to become a subscriber, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans and for more time away from the Clavenless Week.